Hey, climbers, listen up. So how does a group of three songwriters write over a thousand songs in a year, get a bunch of sync placements and uh, songs in with sync houses, and they don't even live on the same continent, and none of them have a staff songwriting deal? Right. We're going to talk about that today. Johnny, do your thing. Welcome to the time! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. You're going to have to show a vulgar display of prowess to get what you want. It's not about being a talent, a diamond in the rough, and plucked from obscurity by a big company that's going to turn you into a star. You're going to have to make it happen for yourself. The good news is you don't need any permission. The bad news is you do have to do it yourself, and you're going to need leverage. That's why we called it the climb, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. That's a Baxter from a good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. He's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Got a song on a Grammy-nominated album. He's a Dove Award winner. Am I right? That's a winner? Well, I have a song on a Dove Award-winning album, and I've been nominated for Dove as a writer. So. Like you're dove adjacent. That's good enough for me. I uh, got a couple. Got a got a couple number ones in Southern Gospel last year, and the train is still on the tracks. But what I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you become pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on the regular, he gets you in touch with the pros to create that relationship and make it happen. You can find Brent at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it's complicated, but thankfully, you know, Johnny's smart. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs. Just to name a few, you can find Johnny at daredevilproduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there's no S because there is no other Johnny D. And we're surrounded by greatness right now on this podcast. We are. I, I'm, I'm in high cotton. I feel, yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, I feel like I'm in the right room today. In, introduce our guests, sir. Yeah, we're going to dive into this one. So, uh, well, the whole, I, I have a feeling that the, the whole show would be the intros if we really did them justice, but. And we'll reveal more of this as we go. But we have three guests with us today, so I think this is probably a climb record. Yeah, Ladies first, we have Lucy LeBlanc, who is a songwriter in Canada, who I've run across several times in Play for Publisher events and different things. She consistently does strong work, and so I've heard a bunch of her stuff, and she's made it to the events and getting all the publisher feedback, all that good stuff. Uh, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. <laughs> Nothing, nothing but gold coming out of that finger right there. All right. So she's had over 100 cuts. Um, let's see. And so we're going to dive into more of that, I'm sure, in a little bit. So we also have Paul DeMarco, who's our friend from the UK, who is an artist, puts out a single every four weeks. That's what he's rocking with, doing great work. Also run across him in several of the play for publisher events and that sort of stuff. So that's kind of how I know both Lucy and, and Paul and our buddy Bill O'Hanlon, which you've all these people you've heard about on the climb before who's appeared on Oprah. He's written over 40 books. He's co-written three books on songwriting. I think one of them probably is the number one songwriting book on Amazon right now, depending on when you listen to this and probably no matter when you listen to this, this, listen, this crew as a whole, the past year, like 2021 has written over a thousand songs, had a bunch of songs taken by sync houses to hopefully land in sync placements, that sort of stuff, a bunch of indie cuts, Basically getting it done, they don't even live on the same continent, all of them, and none of them have a staff songwriting deal. And I find that really impressive, uh, just the the work that these people are putting in and getting results. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. So Lucy, Paul, and Bill, welcome to The Climb. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, and, and for, in, in advance, we just want to apologize to everybody out there for um, ruining your excuse that you can't get anything done because you don't have a publishing deal or it's just real hard to find songwriters in this town. Um, sorry, not sorry. Because none of them are in this town. Whatever They're not even in the same damn country. I, I know, we got US, Canada, UK. This is, this is a beautiful thing. So they are rocking in the free world. 
Well, hey, real quick, join the Climb community. Uh, let's skip past this, though, because I want to get to talking to these guys. But join the Climb yes. community <laughs> on Facebook. We got to ask to be let in. We let everybody in. Leave a rating and review and tell a friend about it. That's, you know, if you're spending this much time with us, it's for some damn reason. It's not because uh, it's not because Brent's handsome. Nope. It's because <laughs> the audio podcast. <laughs> He's got a face for radio. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's because we're doing something to make a difference here and tell somebody else about it. Spread it around. All right. That's right. Normally we share our wins for the week. But you know what? This whole episode is all about wins. one that we should drop it on a Wednesday. Uh, new heights day because it's all about winning this one so we're going to skip over that this time uh just so we can get into it yeah so man i don't even know where to start uh well i i got a question to start it off how did you all get connected how did this how did this whole tripod start yeah i am i am a member of a songwriting organization and and uh um it's headed up by clay mills and marty dodson Mm-hmm. And Clay sent me a uh, email one day and said, uh, "Hey Lucy, I think you should uh, get hold of Paul DeMarco and uh, write with him." Uh, so nice. I contacted Paul and then thought, "Why? Well, I like to bring people together and write. So I love to set up three-way co-writes." Uh, so I thought, "Who would be a good good mix?" And I thought, uh, "Bill." So I contacted Bill, and uh, that's how the three of us started. And uh, also contacted, I have another group that I write with Paul on a regular basis as well. So uh, mm-hmm. um, that's how that started. Nice. And I'll so I'll say I knew Lucy from several things. We went to a songwriting conference together, a live one um, that happens every six months, and we met there, and we met online before, and. What inspired me about Lucy is that she was um, not a spring chicken like I'm not. We, um, you know, I have a I have a T-shirt that says "Openly Gray." That's just uh, that'll tell you where <laughs> I am in the decades. And um, and Lucy one time posted on one of these forums that she'd written. I don't think I, I can't remember right now. About four or five years ago, she said, "I've written 150 songs this year," and I was a little stunned because. I had only written 40 songs before I came to Nashville and I never co-written. And so I was like, wow, you know, she's written a hundred songs. I got to up my game. You know, she's written a hundred songs and I never counted how many songs. So I went back and counted and I'd written 40 songs in the past year. I'd written 40 songs before I came to Nashville. Then in the past year, I'd written 40 songs and then I started co-writing. And the next year, we sort of compared notes and I said to Lucy, hey, last year I saw you wrote 150 songs. This year I wrote 150 songs. She said, oh, I, I wrote 200 this year. And I was like, oh, I'll never, She's like, that's I, cute. I'll never that, that's cute, O'Hanlon. <laughs> I'll yeah. never catch up to Lucy, you know. And, and the other thing is when I first came to Nashville, I heard some pros say, you got to write a thousand songs to write one extraordinary song. And I thought a thousand songs, I will be dead before I write a thousand songs. And, uh, and Lucy was a great inspiration for me to up my game. And so the next year she said, well, you know, I I like to have a little friendly competition. Why don't we see who writes the most songs this next year? And I thought, well, you're going to win, but it will motivate me to get in there and write more. And we start a competition, what we called a co-opetition the next year, where mm-hmm. we were, because we write together sometimes four or five times, maybe six times a month. So some of those songs were co-written and we encourage each other. We kind of vote for each other. And then we met Paul and the magic happens, as we've heard you talk about on The Climb many times. Sometimes you get in a room and it just... It's just the right combination of people and the magic happens and you want to get into that room again as long as you can. And with Paul and Lucy and Bill, that magic happens regularly. So we we decided to do a competition last year and it was the best year any of us had ever had in terms of writing and success, as you said. Well, that's so awesome. I, so it's not all I, about the numbers, but I'm curious because, you know, we'd see postings yeah. on, on New Heights every Wednesday. Bill's like, I write, wrote my 4,000 song for the year or whatever. Uh, so how did your, how did the uh, cooperation, competition, whatever, uh, how did that work out last year? How did the numbers turn out? I'm curious. 
Go ahead, Paul. Paul. So, I mean, everybody I wins, right? Yeah. A little bit because Paul, he won it. Well, all ahead. I'm saying is Paul's got a trophy he can hold up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was kind of cool because it all started the year started with this idea because Bill and Lucy had actually done it the year before. They'd kind of done it, and mm-hmm. I'd been watching. And I said, right, I'm going to join it this year, and. Um, and so obviously we were writing together, but we we're also writing with other people. I was also writing on my own. And the the impact that it made, which we'll probably talk about later, is every morning I'd wake up with this competition in mind. Every morning I'd mm-hmm. think, okay, what are my numbers? What have I written today? And I'd literally, with my morning drink, I'd sit there with my phone and I'd write something. I'm not saying it mm-hmm. was the greatest thing I'd ever written, but because of that, it's almost like counting calories when you when you're on a diet. It, mm-hmm. it was like it was the motivation for it and so by the end of last year so i was chasing the number um but at the same time i was just writing which was really great fun uh, and i think lucy you hit 300 and give me the exact number lucy i think it was 340 340 bill, bill was on 380 something bill no, is I that think- right I, if my memory serves, I thought Lucy was 325, I was 344, and Paul, drum roll. Yeah, so I hit, 400, oh. yeah, I hit 405, which was, um, which was crazy. Now, which here's is, the thing, Paul crazy. has a full-time job, he has a relationship, he has children, and I think there must be two Paul DeMarcos. That's my only theory. <laughs> Yeah, because earlier he said he's on decaf. Yes. I'm not believing that now. That's a lie. He's That's having a lie. green tea. What? What? No, he's like, That's well, Jet Fuel doesn't have caffeine in it, does it? I'm on Jet Fuel. And sorry again for everybody for blowing out that excuse. No, damn. I got kids. I got a life. I got a job. Um, sorry. And you know, I, I, I have to give you guys. fun doing it. We had a lot of fun doing it, and we mm-hmm. uh, gave ourselves team names. I was Team Tortoise. Bill was <laughs> Team Hare. Uh, he beat me both years. And and kudos, bow down to Welsh Dragon. <laughs> Welsh, Welsh Dragon. He lives in Wales in the UK. Yeah. It had to be something a little rock and roll. But I, I have I mean, to say, I have to say, the the route for me to these guys started with with you, Brent and Johnny. And this isn't this isn't prepared beforehand. Um, I'd been listening to the climb, and I joined Songwriting Pro, and so I started posting songs on on Songwriting Pro um, feedback uh-huh. and on, on the climb feedback. And I hooked up with a with a guy from from Arizona called Dave Young, who had a band called Blackwater Lake, which we started writing for purely by oh. hitting it off on that feedback post uh, fast forward uh, about a year or two later and i joined Songtown as well and i'd yeah. actually contacted clay mills uh, about a contract that i'd been offered on a song uh, that i'd written with dave and um i was just i was unsure about it i wasn't sure it was it was on the level and fair play clay mm-hmm. who you know he's a hit songwriter he phoned yeah. me up he rang me up from the states and i'm you know i live as far away from nashville as possible and uh, he rang me up and that's when he put me in touch with lucy and uh, lucy got in touch with bill and uh, there there we go so thanks to you guys as well because that was a oh, i love it love that so we'll take responsibility think, for this. Yeah, sure. Total, totally complete. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think we need a new team name. It should be like, or the competition should be like Game of Songs and the throne should have like a bunch of like guitars and pins and pencils sticking out of it instead of like swords. Like it. I'm not coming so, to your wedding. I don't send the, me a wedding invitation for right, my friends. The red wedding is, is rewrite day. You just get out there with a pen and just start striking stuff. Uh, yeah. Which actually, a couple things. Um, well, one is about is about the red wedding. Is about the rewriting because you know because I often think about that when when I see that like hey written this many songs for the year I'm like okay <laughs> you know what about rewrites what about because a lot of people are like okay well you know like Paul that's over for a couple of y'all, over a song a day do you go back and rewrite what is your kind of uh, your model and kind of what you're aiming for with with the numbers because you know it's always as you know it's not just about how many songs you write because you don't walk into a publisher's office and say i've written 400 songs this year and they're gonna be like where do we sign you right because it's not about that but it does show a lot of work does show a lot of work and a lot of professional work ethic but i'm curious about like your your rewriting process do you guys go back and, and rewrite or what's when do you find time for that 
So every, every session that we do, um, and we we follow your ethos of of thinking like uh, if you want to be a pro, you got to think like a pro, and that's exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning of a writing session, I may have one or two song ideas. Bill may have a song idea, uh, but often we want to just go over something that we'd written before that I'd perhaps done a demo on, and something wasn't quite right. So we'll tweak it. Uh, but we kind of learn to work really quickly. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. easy to kind of derail a writing session by sitting there and thinking too much about it. But we found yeah. just keep it moving and keep it moving. And uh, we managed to do that. But the whole session, we have a two-hour session, sometimes three, uh, but we treat it as if we just come into work and uh, we start with um, any other business and then we get straight on to what we're writing today. And then at the end of the session, we have a little uh, pitch uh, chat as well about where the songs are going to go so it's it is organized i love it i love that so because it's it's one thing i've noticed too can be it, it doesn't happen without being intentional about it like going back in the rewriting uh and sometimes yeah i've done that too like before co-write i'll go and and now i have a trello list of songs that need to be finished or reworked or whatever and then songs that are like finished finished and going through and going okay i'm writing with so-and-so you know tomorrow okay is there anything that we i need to bring up under the old business part of our of our agenda right any old business well before we get into that other one let's button up this one because that's being a finisher i think is really important because having a thousand half finished songs makes me zero dollars and it's zero percent done to the rest of the world right so like i we got to get these across the finish line there's it's always fun having that new energy but if there's something that's worth you know, some things just aren't worth going back in another look because, you know, you can only polish uh, certain things so much. So, you know, knowing the difference. But then I, I like that, that you start off with that. And I would think also that kind of gets to you're starting. So it gives you a little bit of a running start. Like, oh, here's well, one that, that, familiar that, with. And that's what I, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. It's just it, it not only is the, the writing part of it intentional and at the end there's a pitch part that's intentional. Okay. What are we going to do with it now? Yes. But, but the, the, the momentum is intentional. You know, when we used to do that Tuesday night music club at Kelly studio uh, where we had, it was all about like coming up with a song, right? Just writing a song and then being able to just drop it right there with the live band and an artist and do something amazing. But we would always start with like a really killer cover just to get the ball going, just to get the the train on the tracks. And then you know what? That momentum gets started when it's time to switch, switch rails over to the creative part of the process. Everybody's fired up and ready to go. I think that's brilliant that you guys did that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the challenge, I think the challenge for writing that many songs is three things. You know, one is just finishing, as you said, Brent. You, we just got to finish it and get that initial energy and initial capture that initial magic. And then the second thing is going back and making sure it's right. We tweak it and we demo it or we do a master if we're going to do it for sync. And uh, the third thing is just organization, keeping track of things. When you mentioned Trello, you got to, if you're writing that many songs, you got to have some sort of tool to track where the song is, what's happening with it, the follow up to it, and all that stuff. That's what became a challenge for me because I'm not a naturally organized guy. So I've been, we use tools, we use, you know, uh, Google tools to write together because we use Google Doc mm-hmm. to write together, but we also use Google Spreadsheets to keep track of the status of the songs, where they're placed, um, you know, if we're, because we're in sync, some of them are exclusive and some of them are non-exclusive, and we have to make sure we don't mess up in that with having that many songs. And the and the other thing is just keeping track of the lyrics and the work tapes and things like that. So we just use all those tools. I use Dropbox for mine, a lot of my stuff, and then Disco and Song Space to Pitch. And so you just got to have organizational tools and processes if you're going to do it. And like Paul said, and like, again, I always hear you two talk about on the climb, you have to think like a pro even mm-hmm. before you're a pro because when you get there, you're going to be swept up in it. And we've all have those processes in place writing this much. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so important because, you know, publishing, because you y'all all your you are each your own publisher, right? So you're each your own publisher. Uh, but even if you have a publishing deal, it is still important to keep up with your songs, that sort of thing. Um, and publishing 
you know, it sounds sexy, but it's a whole lot of spreadsheets. I used to work in publishing <laughs> on the admin side, and there are some spreadsheets that I still have nightmares about. But it's keeping up with that stuff because I've noticed too that I've I've had to up my game even more going as this the totality of the number of songs I've written goes only up, right? And going, oh, oh, that song that fell through the cracks. What's up with that? And knowing your own catalog. I think it's super important. Bill, you're telling us something off air about how a sync brief came in. So a brief is basically, hey, we're looking for this type of song. Basically, you can explain it better than I can because I don't work really in sync. But you're like, you know what? We got one that's almost there. And was that like an yeah. older song? Or you tell us a little bit of that story. Yeah, yeah I think it was the power of knowing song. your own catalog. Keeping up with your stuff. It was stuff. an older song, yeah. Yeah, knowing it. Again, we have a spreadsheet of everything we've done, and I have a Word file. I mean, it's not even a spreadsheet of every title I've written uh, because one time Lucy and I went to write, and Lucy, be, when we go to write, I'll bring in a title. She'll bring in a title, or our other co-writer will bring in a title, and she goes on BMI or ASCAP to look up to see how unique that title is because mm-hmm. it may have been written 5,000 times or it may have been written twice. And she always likes it lower numbers. So she tends to do that. And one day we were writing with someone and I said, Lucy, I was kidding her because we'd already written a a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus. And I said, you didn't do your usual thing of looking up the title and see how unique it was. And it was a title that I brought. And, uh, and she goes, oh, let me do that now. And she goes, here's the good news, Bill. There's only one other song with that title. The bad news is you and I wrote it six months ago with someone else. (laughs) So you have to, when you're writing that many songs, you have to pay attention. And I hadn't taken it out of my hookbook. I just totally forgotten we'd written that song. So you have to stay organized and we get briefs. And sometimes the brief will say this, this particular one we had was it needs to have the word smile in the hook. And I just went into my database and I looked for the word smile in it. A song that Paul and Lucy and I had written came up and then it said it has to be an acoustic guitar or acoustic piano and a vocal, nothing else. And the song we'd written was a rock song and it was mm. not acoustic. And I wrote Paul yes. and said, this song is perfect. You think you could do it. The deadline is in four hours. And, you know, he's in the UK, so it's evening there. And Which, by I the way, is every out. friggin' sink ever. The deadline yeah, is well, in four Yeah, well, that's it. The deadline hours. is yesterday, always. The deadline is yesterday yeah. for every sink. Put a pain in the ass. But Paul knocked it out. You know, he's, he's a producer as well as a writer. And he knocked it out, and we submitted that song. And uh, I think it got forwarded. I can't remember. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Is there so, is there right. somebody in the in the troika here? Uh, what like what? I'm just curious about the room. Like, uh, what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses like of each? Right? Somebody lyric strong is somebody Paul, particularly Paul melody almost strong. Almost always, Paul almost always brings a whole song. That's <laughs> when you said rewriting. That's what Lucy and I are doing when we first come in with Paul. He will get up in the morning and write two songs, and I'm like, Paul, what? You know, and 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 so then Lucy and I will hear them and we'll look at each other and we'll say to Paul, that sounds great. That's a fantastic song, Paul. What is that song about exactly? (laughs) 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 And he'll tell us what it's about. And then we go, Okay, now we know we can fix the, the lyrics. So Lucy and I often work on lyrics with him. I occasionally work on melody or instruments with Paul over we right over Zoom. And so I think Lucy's almost exclusively titles and and lyrics, and I do titles, lyrics, and some melody. I play a few instruments and I sing. So, but Paul is the Paul is the bring in most of the music almost all the time. Occasionally, I'll write a, a chorus and send it to the two of them, and we'll finish it. Cool. Fascinating. Lucy, yeah. Lucy has another power as well, actually, because as you can see probably and hear on this podcast, Bill and I have so much energy between us uh, that it's hard <laughs> to sometimes put the lid on it. Whereas Lucy will sit back and she will go, hang on, hang on, hang on. That line we just wrote, something's not right about it. And me and Bill are like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Come on. Let's go. Next verse. Next verse. And she's like, no, hang on. Hang on. She's Ooh. the editor. She's, she's the like, editor yeah. and the taste. Yeah. She makes sure nothing passes that isn't fantastic. So we're doing the rewriting in the room a lot. Mm. 
Yeah, and and I think that's why we get through get through as much as we do. Plus, I'm I'm writing in the studio, so when we when we get an idea down, if we get a new lyric, I can just I can just bung that straight into the door, and I'll just do the vocal. It won't be the final vocal, but at least we'll have a reference. So you're not having to rely on the, your fading memory either. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. awesome. That's one of the fun things, uh, you know, Lucy. Of course, I'm as you know, I'm a lyricist. And so, you know, melody people, especially if it's a three-way where they're banging away on guitars and they're figuring stuff out, I'm just like, sit back. And eventually they'll look at me and go, what do you think about that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm in lyric land. I will get to you momentarily. Uh, Because I'm sitting here either thinking ahead of like, where do we need to go in verse two or "Ah, something about that first verse? That's not quite right. And they're they're off, you know, dancing in the field, having a party. And I'm like, somebody's got to make the trains run on time. What's going on here? So is that (laughs) it sounds like that's kind of your vibe, Lucy. Somebody's got to be the parent. Somebody's got to be the grown up, Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's also great at bringing rooms together, as she told you know, she mm-hmm. brought the three of us together. I think that's, you know, I don't know if that's often talked about as a co-writing skill, but it is a great co-writing skill. Knowing what personalities might fit together and what different strengths fit together. Like you said, Johnny, what are your strengths? Lucy knew to bring another person in who had a slightly different strength than she did and, you know, put us together. And I think that's one of Lucy's geniuses. It's one of her superpowers. Yeah, it's so important. Not every superpower shows up directly on the page. Of course, you know, she's she's good with lyrics. I've heard enough of her stuff to know she's she's a quality writer. Uh, but yeah, it's those soft skills of knowing who's going to fit in the room. What is my role today? Being the editor, I've heard several people talk about that. Just depending on the day, hey, maybe one day I'll be the editor. The other person is just driving like a mad person and just with all this creativity. And, and it's my job to kind of go, okay, why don't we aim it over here? And here's a guardrail here. And other days it may it may swap. So I think knowing your roles um, helps. And of course those roles may change on different days. They do. For me, they, yeah, they change a little with the three of us, but they change from right to right. And I bring the irreverent humor to every right. And so (laughs) I think, you know, it's, I, I know you two have a lot of fun on the podcast, but there's something about humor that opens you up to creativity because you're not so rigid and not so stuck. All of a sudden somebody laughs And the next thing, it's like, you know, sometimes I know you know this, Brent, you go to the bathroom and you get a epiphany because it's a break from (laughs) struggling to make something happen. And uh, it's the same thing with humor. If you just spend the whole time falling about laughing, that's not great. But if you lighten up the mood every once in a while, it helps that creativity come through when you might have been a little constipated with it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. If you're laughing, you if you're having a good time, better chance you're going to have a good song. Yeah. So, okay, so let's... Oh, sorry. Go There's ahead. There's energy between people. And, mm. uh, and you become very comfortable, too, with that energy and know how far you can push. And you can push. And, uh, and you can push in different ways. You don't have to be allowed. <laughs> you right. know, there are subtle ways of, of, of pushing. Um, but uh, the three of us uh, work well together. Uh, I mean, Bill is is such a fountain of ideas, and 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 his lyric lines that come out, and and his melody sense. And Paul, well, they don't call him the Welsh dragon for nothing, you know. I mean, he's <laughs> he's got it all happening, and you, you know, he's got the power. Uh, so, and and then somehow the th- the three of us kind of. I don't know, that energy sparks and it just mm-hmm. runs rampant when we're going. And and how how Paul is able to to bring in so many different ideas that are just uh, right on point for sync. And and we've mm-hmm. got the places to pitch them and we've got the briefs that we can uh, write to. And Paul has the expertise to do up the track and just, just drive that train, drive that train home. Yeah. So it's let's good. talk about that. Like, like, let's talk about the results that you got last year, because I want you guys to share that. And then also, um, who brought those relationships? Like, where did those sync relationships come from? <clears throat> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Well, I, I think we all have our own different sources. Um, I, I was going down to Nashville a lot, and uh, uh, I, I met some uh, publishers down there and started getting some single song contracts. Uh, this was before I met Bill and Bill and Paul. And there are different avenues. I don't know if you want us to bring those avenues out right now. We can. Well, I think well, again, I, I just, we, whatever you're we meet with, people. Um, well, yeah, we meet people at conferences. Lucy and I met physically at the Durango Songwriters Expo, and there are a bunch of sync agents as well as country publishers at that one. And Lucy and I would pitch to those people, and then we'd hear each other's songs. And again, like you said, Bren, when you hear somebody's song, you're sitting in a room, and there's 20 songs played, and 18 of them aren't up to up to the level you need to be for commercial success and you hear one or two are like wow i want to write with that person and then mm-hmm. we we sometimes swap resources i'll tell lucy hey i'm pitching for sync for this or i'm I, there's a pitch to publisher brent baxter has this or you should listen to the climb you know you should join songwriting pro there are just we just exchange resources I'm probably the most, because I'm a little hyperactive, the most pitch oriented. And because I have a, a business, but I don't have to work in that business so much. Every morning I get up and pitch five to 10 songs, some to country, some to sync. And so I'm a big, big uh, uh, pitcher. And again, that's something to think about when you co-write to me. Not only do they bring the song ideas and are they good in the room with you, but what do they do afterwards? Do they deliver the work tape? Do they deliver the demo? Can they produce it? If they can produce it, especially if you're working in sync and you know, and you call on the master, they're worth their weight in gold to me. And then who pitches? Who follows up? Who makes sure the songs get out there in the world? Because as you say, otherwise they're sitting in your hard drive and they're not making anybody any money or being heard by anybody. So I love that kind of resource sharing. And that's another point. You know, some people don't co-write and I think, well, okay, great. But you've got three people. If you have three co-writers, three people potentially getting your song out there, pitching that song, making connections with publishers or sync agents or wherever to get that song heard and placed somewhere. So that's another argument for co-writing for those of you out there listening who aren't co-writing. I didn't co-write for the first four years of my career as a songwriter. And then I started co-writing and it was challenging at first because I wasn't used to it. And now I'm addicted to it for all those reasons we just talked about. And let's get rid of another excuse. I've never even been to Nashville. I've been to America once. I went to New York just before the pandemic started. It's the only time I've ever been to America. And I always ask the question, how am I ever going to reach, how am I going to get my songs heard on Music Row? Um, But people have to take opportunities, like Brent's Play for Publisher events. Um, We're we're all members of Songtown, and they have groups that you can join which have genuine publishers in that will listen to your song and will take them. And we've, we've had songs taken. I think too many people think, right, I've written a song um 
and that's great. <clears throat> but like you say, if it lives on your hard drive, then then that's no good. One song that we had taken as well uh, is a song that I'd released. I'd made a YouTube video, just a lyric video of it, and um, and Bill shared the shared the link when I released the song, and uh, and Nashville publishers saw the song, heard the song and went, Bill, who's this? This is great. I, 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 where can I get hold of this song? And they, they signed it there and then. Um, but if I hadn't have, if we hadn't have taken the time <laughs> awesome. to make it discoverable, then that would never have happened. So those yeah. who think that you have to be in Nashville or you have to be knocking on publishers' doors, literally, that's not necessarily the case. You've got to get your songs out there. You've got to build a team. And co-writing is a great way of doing that. Amen. Hey, man. Yeah. So, uh, Bill, just out of curiosity, because we've talked about this a couple times in the podcast, um, where I, I've had a couple artists that I've dealt with who just sort of had like the golden voice. And uh, th- this is a generalization. It's not always the truth. But sometimes, I mean, I think there's a reason why Bob Dylan's lyrics are so good, because Bob Dylan can't sing. You know what I mean? So he's got to blow you away with the lyrics, right? And then when you got the singer that's just got the golden voice, a lot of times if they're a self-contained artist, then because they can sing the phone book and make you cry, the lyrics sort of are like, eh, they don't need to work that hard on them because they're blowing you away with the voice. And every time that I've sort of... um uh, you know, uh, I'm, I've, I've got a term I want to use, but it's inappropriate. But <laughs> every time I, you know, every time I ah, put them in the their first translation for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every time I put them in a, in, a, in a writing room for the first time, I mean, it is. Yeah, it's. Uh, how did you feel after the first co-write? I'm curious. Actually, the first co-write I ever did went really, really well. I was thrown in the deep end because you know. Again, if you're used to being a solo writer, it's such a personal and private thing. And you're, you don't want to look stupid in front of somebody and all that stuff. And I actually got together with two other people. And I'm like, wow, that went way better than I thought. I still like the song that we wrote. And um, so, but you're right. I think I go out and I hear people in Nashville. I, I live part-time in Nashville. And I hear people in Nashville. I think that person is fantastic. Their songs aren't that good. They need our songs. You know, they have that golden voice and they can make, as you say, they can sing the phone book and sound great. They need our songs. And that gives me a great deal of hope because I think with the right comedy, it's like the perfect wave, right? Uh, you know, the perfect storm. Y- y- if they have that great voice, a great band, great management, all the stuff that you talk about, you know, that getting themselves out there and then they have the right song at the right time. That's where it gives me hope as a songwriter. All they need is us. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm just thinking about Malk, you know, like the first time I put it, he just was like, so he didn't know what to think. It was like, he, he was like, it went really well. You know what I mean? But he's just like, he felt violated. And at the same time, it kind of felt good. And he's, he's, you know, I mean, he's, he's all conflicted about it. You know what I mean? I always ask people after the first ride, will you still respect me in the morning? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. It was so hard for him to do that. And then I remember like, uh, cause at the time he was still living in LA and he had come out just to mix a project. And I had worked with him when I lived in LA. And then, uh, and then we lived together for like this, the second year I was back and the third year I was back, but he would then come skipping home from a co-write, like, look at what we got, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was, I was yeah. like, oh, this, this turned around, didn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like anything, you know, the more you do it and you get used to it. And also you find the right people for it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that for me, I've had to, you know, I was never the popular guy in high school. I went out, on, I think one date. And now I understand what those pretty girls felt like and how they, you know, they have to say, I'm washing my hair on Friday night. I'm washing my hair on Saturday night. I've had to break up with songwriters that it wasn't working with. They were great. They were fine songwriters. It just didn't Mm -hmm. work with me. And I think you have to be a little ruthless if you're really serious about becoming a commercial songwriter and say, you know, you're a nice person. It's just not working, you know, and I'm washing my hair. I'm washing my hair for the next three months, so I can't go right with you again. It's yeah, not, I, it's, I, not, it's like Tom. <laughs> it's like Aaron Rodgers doesn't still play ball with his high school buddies. You know, right. it's just like I'm perfect, sorry, perfect, I, perfect. I had to go to college, and it's a new crew. And then after I college, to bring I'm up sorry. Aaron Rodgers. Jesus, 
Like, oh, did on. something just happen? No, I just I'm ready to choke him out. Never okay, mind. sorry. <laughs> I, I was trying to do it because I know you're a Packers fan. I didn't realize the other uh, stuff going this on. Year, uh, I, this year, I'm I'm against it. Like I can't believe it. Okay, <laughs> but, we'll talk about that later. So, yeah, but the analogy uh, holds. The analogy holds. The analogy yes. holds. Right. <laughs> Patrick so, Mahomes hey, isn't still playing with the guys he went to Texas Tech with. <laughs> thank you. Unless they made to the pros too. All right. Uh, one thing that I wanted to point out is is culture. You know that what is the norm for your group? For your group, the norm is I wrote a song today, or I'm pitching, or I'm rewriting. That's that's the culture that the three of you, you know, to a certain extent or another, already had and brought into this group, and now that's the group culture. It's going to be weird if Paul goes, I didn't write anything last week. What? <laughs> Bill's hat's going to blow off, right? So. You, you know, and nobody, and nobody wants that, right? So that's the culture. And I've noticed with some of my friends that are like more successful. I have a friend, in particular in like Southern Gospel, who's had tons of number ones. We get together to write, be here, and this other person, and it's just a normal part of conversation about, oh, you know, I could pitch this to so and so, or oh, hey, by the way, I sent our song to this person, this person, this person. Like the plugging and the and the pitching was just a part of the conversation. It was the culture that she brought into that room. A lot of rooms I've been in, it's not really talked about very much. Like you go write the thing and it's not like, okay, where do we go with this? Or, oh, the last couple of things, hey, let's let's do that. It wasn't part of the culture. I'm like, okay, let's see here. The person that I write with has had the most number ones. That is a part of her culture. That's a normal part, is an integrated part of her doing business. And she has a bunch of number ones. Hmm. Let's see here. What can I learn from this? And and so that's one thing I admire about what y'all are doing is is you know building this culture and and you know say what do we want our culture to be? We want to write. We want to rewrite. We want to you know we want to act. You know, it's write, record, access, and pitch. Right? It's the rap acronym that like you're definitely all about writing. You got the recording. You're working on accessing because you've talked about going to conferences and meeting people, being part of different groups and doing workshops and different things, and then actually pitching. Every day. And those are the four legs that, you know, a successful songwriter, you know, the bar stool sits, sits on. And that's part of you putting all four in in your culture. And I think that's something to point out to people's going, hey, as you're building your team, what is a team culture? Is a team culture? Is it normal to say, oh, I haven't written in a week or two or, oh, yeah, it's been busy with stuff. Or is the culture yeah, I, I write and I pitch and I record and that's what I do. And that's what's normal for this crew is so find your crew that's that's at least aspiring to that. They can hold each other accountable. I'm trying to build that more with like the people I write with when whenever I pitch a song, I'll text my co-writers. Hey, pitch this song to so-and-so today, fingers crossed or whatever, just to inject that like, oh, yeah, that's a thing we can do, too. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Some songwriters don't think about that. Like, oh, yeah, there's that part of it. I mean, yeah, that's a part that kind of makes money. Like that's well, and I think, you, I think bank, you, know, you know, yeah, I think to your point too, it takes a village to get a hit. It takes a village to get a placement. That is, you know, that's what you and Johnny always talk about. And, you know, Johnny talks about the business side and the marketing side is that those aren't separate things from me. If I want to be a commercial songwriter, if I want to be a successful songwriter, I need a team that really works on the business side and the legal side and the creative side and all that stuff. I hired one of my roommates in Nashville who was out of work during the pandemic for a little while to register my songs because at that point writing 344 songs a year i wasn't keeping my pro registrations up and i had a little more money than she did and i wanted to help a fellow songwriter so you have to find your team to get the business parts the organizational parts the marketing parts the pitching parts as well as the creative parts and it's all a team sport to me i i have a question demarco like i know I've seen you on Facebook and I mean, uh, one of the reasons that we connect the way that we do with our spirits is just cause I, you'll, you'll bust out a freaking Iron Maiden song, you know, <laughs> and, and do a video of it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> like I love that. So of all the songs y'all wrote like last year, 
And and you still haven't said like first of all, how many placements did you get? Like like just give the results. Like let's let, give the report card on that because I want people to hear uh, about how much y'all did. And then secondly, how many of those songs? What what genre were those songs like? Because you can go back and forth, Paul. I know that about you. So how does that work for you guys? Um, does the song um, sort of come out and then lend itself to? Oh, that's going to be a rock song, or it, 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 were they all country? Where like how did it work? So the, the the cool thing is because we are so diverse with our styles, and I'm there's virtually no music I don't like. I'll I'll find something of value in anything, which which is great because then no doors are closed. Uh, the very first session we had, we wrote a song called "Designs on You," uh, which Bill had been to the uh, optician or dentist, optician, I believe, Bill, right. Yeah, optician, yeah. Been to the optician, and when the optician sort of leant over to do to do a thing, he noticed she was covered in tattoos, and we were like, and Bill was like, wow, I want to know. He was just taken aback by it. He didn't expect that. And so we wrote a song from that from that story. Uh, that was actually the first song uh, that we got taken, but it took maybe about a year and a half before that song was then taken by by a sync uh, a publisher, uh, which was really good. And it good. won an award. It won an award yeah. at the Texas, what, what, what was that, Lucy? Austin or Texas Songwriters Association? Yeah, the Austin one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Austin that song because that came through yeah. one of the play for publisher events that we do at yeah, yeah, yeah. Either made the top 10 or the on hold or something, but I remember that one coming through. Yeah. And we, and we did four versions of that song. We did four <laughs> yeah. different versions. We did a rock version. We had an Americana version. We had a country pop version. Then we had an acoustic songwriter version. It was the rock one that was actually taken, Johnny. So, yes. Um, but <laughs> but then the next song that we got taken, for some reason, I'd been listening to a band called the Teskey Brothers from Australia. They were a soul band, Motown sounding band, brilliant band. Uh, anyway, I just got really inspired to check out that Motown. So we wrote this Motown song. Uh, totally out of left field. We weren't expecting it. And we wrote this song called Best Damn Day of My Life, uh, which was a straight up Motown tune that got taken. Uh, so, and then we have another song, which is completely Americana acoustic, and that's got taken and also being played to Justin Benoit, a Canadian artist, for him potentially cutting it as well. So nice. we're, we're, we're not tunnel visioned at all. We're not going to go, oh, I'm not going to write that because it's uh, it's country. I don't do country. I'm not going to write that because it's metal and I don't do metal. We're just like, what's the pitch want? Let's do it. Uh, and if it doesn't work out and it's not the greatest sounding song in the world, then fair enough. But you just So you're writing print. for the pitch is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, well, no, like the first you one, guys have a blueprint to, uh, or a target to hit. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So, and, well, and again, and it's like... It's like I hear Brent say, you know, about the songwriting stuff, study one, you know, one country artist and get to know their style when they're got another thing. Start writing for them, really get into their their style and their head. It's the same thing with sync. That's like a brief for country. You go, okay, write a Kenny Chesney song that's not like the old ones. It's what he's going to do next. But you got to know Kenny Chesney inside out before you do that. And you got to know country inside out before you do that. So it's the same thing with with briefs for sync. We get a brief that says write a Motown song and we'll write a Motown song, write a rock song that's, you know, that's in this style. And so that inspires us a lot. Lucy's got over 100 indie cuts. I've got um, – I'm heading towards 40 this year. I, I start a little later than Lucy. Paul puts out his own stuff, and we've got a bunch signed to sync, and um, nothing placed, no big placements yet, but we're on our way. How many to sync? How many are signed? I think we have – 10 or 12 signed in sync at this point, maybe more. We'd have to look in the spreadsheet. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we also write with other people. So in addition to that, I probably got 60 or 70 songs signed in sync. I've got my first placements. I got a placement on an MTV show. I got a placement just the other day uh, for a promo. Um, so we're getting placements at this point. It's a long game, just like uh, a lot easier than getting country uh, cuts, though. Getting major country mm -hmm. cuts is sync is like winning this hundred dollar scratch off ticket. And country is like winning the Mega Millions lottery. It's mm -hmm. less likely, but always yeah. so possible. Somebody's got to win that Mega Millions and somebody's got to win the scratch off. So that, that's right. So, Lucy, let me ask you this question. Um, 
when you guys are vacillating between, it, it is difficult, I think, to vacillate between genres. Um, and I, I, I know this because uh, I think everybody believes they can be a country writer um, because they wrote songs somewhere else. And then it's like, no, you know, I, I, I've, I, I never aspired to be a country writer, but when I came to town, I tried, you know, I was getting into writing some songs and stuff and it just all just sounded like rock and roll. Man. <laughs> like, you know, like I couldn't get it. Like, that's just who I was, you know? And so how, what's the, um, what's the mindset or what's the, 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 the sort of process that you use to make sure that you're being native, right? I mean, so if you guys get the pitch and you're like, okay, they want a country song. So you're going to choose a certain chord structure and, uh, and then who's the, who's the lyric police to, to, to make sure that the, the lyrics are going to be for lack of a better word, native to the platform. That the lyrics will be, which I didn't catch the end of that. Native to the platform. Like, no, uh, you know, appropriate for yeah. the genre. If it's country, it'll be right for country. Right. If it's rock, it'll be right for rock or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. like it'll make sense. I think you know a lot of people just think, well, I'm going to take this song here, throw a banjo on it. Now it's country, <laughs> and then it's confusing because sometimes that has happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. 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 I mean, so it gets Always a little weird. But... To the rule, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. just curious, like uh, you know, when you're because since you're the um, you know s- sort of keeping these two tied down and, and on track here, like, like when wh- what goes through your head? Like how do you how do you keep that puck in play? Well, it, it you know, first of all, in sync, they they don't often ask for a lot of country songs. It it, mm-hmm. it, it, it isn't there, but there are opportunities for it. And um, I'm not a native country writer, so um, to get into the nuances of what of what you want to say in there, you have to d- d- dig a little harder. And it's easier if you're writing with someone who is a native country writer, uh, and you can dig into what, what's going through their head. But what I try to do in any write is uh, to try and get into the head of my co-writer of what they're, what they're wanting to say and hoping to bring it out of them and, and, and say it in the way they would say it, especially if that is their, their, their native land, if, that, if that's a, what they gravitate to the most and try to bring that out of it. And then I try to bring it out of myself too. And I, I, I can't answer how, how, how that's done. I, I, I well, again, I've heard Brent say this, but it's, would someone sing this? You know, could you mm-hmm. hear this country person sing this? And also if you ever went to their show, how would the audience react? Are they going to get up and go to the bathroom or get a beer during that song? Or are they going to stay and go, I got to listen to this. And, you know, I think, again, you got to listen to the genre. I've written with people who want to write country and don't listen to country and think modern country sucks. And I'm like, sorry, you're not going to do well if you disrespect that thing. I've started writing hip hop. That's, you know, I am not a hip hop guy, but I've been listening to hip hop because a friend of mine wants to write hip hop clean hip-hop for advertisements and for sports placements. And I'm like, I don't listen to that much. Let me get into it. And I found stuff I like, some I don't like, and some I like. you got to find something you like and then immerse yourself in it and respect that genre and learn what the vocabulary is. There are certain things that I never say in country, and there are certain things that I would always say in country. And, yeah, there's a certain structure. And if you don't know that, you probably shouldn't write in that. And if you don't respect it, you shouldn't write it. Got to be a student to the game. Yeah. 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 And that's, I guess that's what I was kind of thinking because even the structure, the chord structures matter, right? Like, like what, what the chord progressions are going to be, the changes. I wrote with a, a, a pro writer and I had a really cool riff and he said, no, Bill, that's not country. He said, my guitar doesn't go into A. And I thought he was joking. And he was like, it's G, C, D, E minor. That's it. That's all I write in country. And I'm like, really? I've heard countries like that. But whatever. But I got his point. Don't make it too fancy. You know, yeah, don't yeah, make it no. too fancy-like in the chord structure for country. And I get it. You can make it cool with simple chords with country. But Johnny, you're, you're drawn gone. into me. It's conversational. 
It's been drummed and into me. And conversational, definitely, yes. Conversational lyrics for country, yes. Yeah. I also think it takes a little bit of a, a personality check as well because there are no egos in the room when we write. And um, Johnny, when I first write, started writing with these guys, we were we were trying to we were doing country because they've been writing country, and I, I you know I wasn't aware how much country had had an influence on me. But the thing is, every time we'd we'd write a song and I'd do the demo, I'd have my Les Paul cranked, uh, and you know, and they'd, it'd get, it'd go to them, and they're like, "Yeah, I, I like it. It's it's a bit rocky," <laughs> and I'd be like. What do you mean? What do you mean it's you a bit rocky? There's an acoustic yeah. in there on the left-hand side. He thought it was pure country, and I was like, no, that's rock, Paul. Thanks. The thing is, yeah. I, I, could, I could have turned around and said, what are you talking about? That's the way I hear it in my head, so you're wrong. But I didn't. You have to go, okay, yeah. fair enough. And if you're – you've got to be thick-skinned in that way, but you've also got to be prepared to be told that you're wrong and then just yeah. do something about it. Yeah. And no, yeah, I know what it – and certainly, I mean, you know, with country – that was the epiphany for me. I mean, I've, I've a bunch of people that used to be on my crew when I was an artist are on um, like Tim McGraw's crew now. And they've been on that crew for uh, like years, you know, for a decade, for over a decade. And so I remember uh, when I still lived in LA and they would, every time they come through town, it's like, I'm going to get a call or a text. Hey man, come on. You want to come out? We're coming through. You know, yeah, yeah. Come on, say hi and hug on your neck. And I just remember the first time I walked out there, it was Luke Bryan's first tour. And I had like, I just had this like Alzheimer's moment. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I'm looking at the, I'm looking up on stage and there's a Les Paul up there. There's a Marshall stack. And I'm looking at my ticket. Like, I'm pretty damn sure we just got through the gate. I, I, I we're supposed to be, we're like, what that's, what the hell is that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, what's going on here? What's happening here? You know what I mean? And, and then that dude came out and they were doing rock stuff. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that now. You know? And I, I texted Kelly. I'm like, look at this guy. There's a, there's a Marshall stack at a country show. Holy crap. You know, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely. There's no solos in country music anymore. You want them back. Uh, <laughs> uh, they need to come back. Well, we need are. to bring back the 12 bar guitar solo. Yeah, Why well, not? Gibson would like that. Wouldn't they? There's some more damn guitars. Yes, right. completely, completely. But Eric, Church, there's no, there's no guitar heroes in country either, which is a problem. I mean, like I always said this just from a, a strictly a marketing perspective, you know, if you go to a Keith Urban show, or if you go to a Brad Paisley show, you're like, holy crap, it's a vulgar display of prowess. Yeah. But why aren't they being marketed like Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton yeah. and George Lynch? Mm -hmm. I mean, and Eddie Van Halen. Why aren't they? Why wouldn't you? Do, I mean, or, I mean, what, you know, think about Chet Atkins, right? Yeah. I, I just think like they, these were like you, if you were Joe Schmo from Kokomo, you knew. Chet Atkins was a vulgar display of prowess on the guitar. Yeah. yeah. And and that's a mistake. I think that's it. And also, by the way, an open lane now, no traffic. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I'm, I'm eyeing that up. I am eyeing that up. I'll preach to that church. I'll preach to that church. Paul could, Paul could do that. Oh go. my God. I'm so glad you guys uh, came on and, and did this. I think what you did was amazing. Yeah. Thank uh, you. What you're doing I, I mean, is amazing. So, yeah. What you're doing is amazing and what you continue to do. And uh, I mean, you know what? I love how you're like, that sinks her. That came a year and a half later or whatever. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Yeah. You don't, you don't get that unless you have that stockpile up, you know, for mm -hmm. this. So the songwriters out there, and I've heard so many of, well, I'm just going to see how these three songs do before I decide if I'm going to be a songwriter. And maybe if they don't get the validation that I need, I'll be an astronaut or a fireman. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's like you, you just got to go in and do it, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that these three writers here, Brent, if they weren't writing, I think they'd be on the news. I think they'd be climbing a tower with a gun. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like they didn't choose music. Music chose them, right? <laughs> well, so, keep picking but, up the guitars and the pins. Well, you guys, thank you so much for coming on. That brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Um, Bill O'Hanlon, Lucy LeBlanc, Paul DeMarco, vulgar display of prowess, slow clap to you guys. Um, everybody needs to focus on this model here. And, and and go and start, mm -hmm. you know, making making some stuff happen here, man. That's the deal. So um, that, that's why we had him on here. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 